everybody, and welcome back to The Veterinary Optimist. I am your host, Jennifer Evans. Today, we have actually a repeat guest, and we are digging into a completely different subject. Dr. Chris Adolph received his DVM degree in 1996 from Oklahoma State University. He owned his own practice for around 17 years before deciding to go back and get his American College of Veterinary Microbiologist Parasitology or parasitology in 2015. Did I say that correctly, Dr. Adolph? Yes, the American College of Veterinary Microbiology has subspecialties, and under that is bacteriology, virology, immunology, and as of about a decade ago now, parasitology is a board-certifiable discipline. Mm. It's a it's a mouthful saying it, and I just wanted to make sure that I got all of that correct. And if you go back to season two, episode one, you'll hear about all the other incredible things that Dr. Adolph does. He's, he has sat on many different boards. He's worked with many different um, big named groups and he just has a massive history. But today we're kind of digging into the conversation where he left practice for a little bit. He was a full-time parasitologist for about eight years. If I'm not mistaken, he he stopped practicing. Doc, I'll ask you in just one second, but you stopped practicing in 2015. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And as of April 2023, you are now working in a um, um, not full-time capacity as a veterinarian in a general practice. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, that's right. You know, I'm still a full-time parasitologist, but as the, the further I got away from it, uh, you know, the first several years when I would talk to a group of veterinarians, I could relate and I could say, listen, you know, I, I've been a practicing veterinarian far longer than I've been a specialist. So when I develop content and put together meetings for veterinarians, I do it with the practicing veterinary team in mind and, and do my best to leave the esoteric academic stuff out, the stuff that, you know, maybe I think is cool, but does not advance the exam room conversation to go from, I don't need this parasite control to, yes, I do. So I try to be concise with that. And in the process, the more I did that, the further and further I got away from practice, the more out of date I became. And I was turning into the person or the, the veterinarian that I swore I would never be when I graduated from veterinary school. I would keep current. I would know the latest, greatest thing for any condition. And so it started becoming apparent to me even a year or two ago uh, with all the advancements in fear-free, with all of the new medications for treating seizure disorder, with all of the new medications for treating otitis, that I was way behind because I hadn't kept up. I mean, I, I was laser being focused on parasitology, all of these other things. So there was a meeting where someone asked me a question about using certain medications with dogs with a pre-existing uh, seizure condition. And I was giving my answer. And in the body of the answer, I said something about potassium bromide. And the new graduates looked at me like I started speaking a different language. What is that? And that was the first time I heard the word Kepra. Okay. So, so I was like, well, I need to know more about that. But there's several examples of that. So I'll backtrack a little bit. Before all this happened, uh, some of my really good friends from vet school, uh, we're, we stayed in contact with each other and we had a conversation one time. And so one of the owners of this practice, who's a friend of mine, 
said, if you ever want to, you know, practice for real, if you ever want to, you know, do some shifts, we would love to have you. And that was in the back of my mind. And then the, I'm getting further and further away from real practice. So earlier this year, I called him up and I said, Chris, were you serious about that? And so that started a conversation where starting in April, I went back and worked my first day as a practicing veterinarian. And so we started with a couple of days a month. Um, you know, this month I'm working like five days, just uh, some weekend stuff, some things like that. And it has been awesome. Mm, I love that. Okay. So there's two things I'm going to say to this. And one of them, I'm not going to ask you to comment on because I think it's more, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I believe that veterinarians and vet staff in general get into practice and there is something that we absolutely connect and love about practicing veterinary medicine, right? And when we leave to go a different path and grow in a different way, whether it's industry or or parasitology or consulting or whatever, um, I, I believe that there's a certain part of us that's kind of missing a little bit and wishes that we still had that practicing medicine in and uh and so I think that I think that that gap for anybody that is no longer practicing will always be there. Um, and I think it's really cool that you decided to fill that gap because we, we deeply connect with that kind of stuff. And then the, the second thing about what I was going to mention about your story is that whenever we go to CEs or symposiums or all of those things, what we hear a lot is, they don't know what we're going through, right? You're on a stage talking, working for a big company. You don't know what we're going through. You're not in here practicing air quotes, real medicine, right? <clears throat> and I think there's something to be said for one that, you know, those of us in vet medicine, we could be a little stubborn and hardheaded, but two, like, like that it, now you have that ability to say, I do know because I am there and I, I am working on the floor. So I think that's really cool. Um, tell me something, Dr. Adolph, if you don't mind, I might call you Chris. Are you okay with that? I would love it if you did. That's let's okay. do that. Everybody call me Chris when you see me. Perfect. Okay. Chris, tell me something. If you could say the number one thing that's changed in the eight years that you haven't practiced from 2015 to, to 2023, what would you say the biggest thing is? Well, there's a few things, but I think the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks is things cost more than they did uh, eight years ago. Uh, when I first went back, I mean, I worked with such an incredible team. So, so good. So I would go into the exam room and I would see, you know, a patient with certain clinical signs and I would go through the differential list with the owner and say, here are the diagnostics I need to do to figure this out so we can, uh, you know, treat the right thing. And then I would leave the room and then the pet nurse would come out and say, okay, we're doing all that stuff. Okay, great. So I'm in the middle of interpreting these diagnostics. When I happen to glance over, I'm like, oh my gosh, that costs more than it used to. And so it, it just really, gave me an even deeper appreciation for how hard these folks work and that they're communicating the value of what we're doing. So the 
stuff costs more is the thing I think that stood out more than about anything. So I have a deeper appreciation when I'm talking to a group of veterinarians on parasitology that's in the back of my mind. And I have to acknowledge like, listen, I understand what I'm saying is not an inexpensive process, but this is the best way to proceed. Like if we're, what do I do with a line positive dog, right? I understand that all those tests I just said, I understand that costs a bunch of money, but this is going to give us the best path forward. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I wish that there was a magical way to help clients better understand that there's not some massive markup in vet medicine, right? Like what they're seeing is not the staff and the clinic making large amounts of money off of them. It is the fact that things are expensive and that running a practice is expensive and paying your employees I mean, that all cost a lot of money, right? When we talk about KPIs and baselines and, 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 and what lands at the bottom to be able to pay your bills. I mean, I, I wish there was a magical way for them to just understand that it's, it, things are just expensive, but I guess we all are feeling that anyways. And I don't know if it's post COVID, I don't know what it is, but life in general seems to be just more expensive. So, okay. Well, Tell me this, is there, what do you feel like you're, you've gained as your biggest appreciation from noticing the financial increase? Would you say it was being able to relate whenever you're giving your speeches? Is that the top thing? Uh, I mean, it's, it's super important because, you know, when I, when I left practice in 2015 to treat a heartworm positive dog, properly was one cost, right? And so now I realize, well, it's like five, seven hundred, a thousand dollars more than it used to be because the cost of diagnostics have gone up, the cost of uh, you know hospitalization's gone up, things like that. So uh, I'm not as I don't just blow past that like I like I was before, like, oh well just treat them this way. Just don't do this. This is the best. And but now in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, that costs more than it used to. So I try to empathize with the veterinarians. Like what I'm saying, I understand cost, but this is what we need to do medically. Mm, yeah. Recognizing it and calling it out versus blowing by it. I can definitely see how that can make a bigger impact. I'm grateful that you do that. Um, okay. So if that's the number one thing, the cost of, of just running veterinary medicine in general, what would you say has been the second biggest change? Because if we think about this, you were in practice before COVID and That's then right. you come back to practice after COVID and after everything is starting to settle down, after the great resignation, after all of these um, events that have happened over the last two and a half years, what what would you say is number two for the biggest differences before and after? Yeah, we're busy. I mean, it is uh, all hands on deck most days. I, you know, I practiced up until 2015, but I did not practice from 2020 to, you know, 2022, right? And so now when I'm doing it in 2023 and I am just running from here to there, just nonstop. And I talk to the veterinarians to practice like, well, this is how it is now. Here's how it was 2020, 2021. 
my hat's off to you guys because uh, I don't know. I would have. I might have gone mad if I would had to do it back in in that period of time. So we're busy. It's you know people have more pets. People are waiting to get their routine maintenance done. We're seeing more urgent care stuff, and it's just nonstop. I mean, we, we have twice as many dogs now as we did before the pandemic at our own house. So, and I think that's times, you know, however many millions of people in the United States are, you know, have uh, dogs and cats in their house. So I think just the pace is, uh, I, I have an appreciation for the pace. Okay. So this is a big, this is a big subject. Let me think. I, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask here. One, when you say you don't know if you would have been as prepared for it back in 2015, I, my first thought is, oh, you were younger. When we're younger, we have more energy. We can handle things more. Um, what do you think is the difference that made you more prepared now? Was it because you had that break or because you feel like you're in a different mind space? What do you think the big difference is there? Well, I, this is a multifactorial thing. Uh, one, I work with an amazing team. They do the hard stuff. They, they're the ones getting blood from that mean cat. They're the ones taking the x-rays and, and running blood. They just put like results in front of me. So that's, that makes it a lot you know, smoother. Uh, but number two, having that break, having that break and coming back with kind of a really full battery, so to speak. Um, years ago, I read a autobiography by Bill Walsh. Uh, he was a football coach for the San Francisco 49ers that was a coach for decades. And then he retired and, you know, NFL football, they, they work 18 hours a day, every day for 30 years. Right. And in his book, he said, after retirement, he realized he didn't need to retire. He needed six weeks off because after six weeks, he was like, I missed it. And so I took a little bit more from practice right now. I'm still in, you know, doing the other job and getting to interact with veterinarians and getting to do meetings and things like that. But I wasn't talking to clients about here's, here's how the, the, this allergy caused this ear infection. I wasn't doing that. But after having that break and coming back, having that amazing support staff and a full battery kind of made it easy. And I was like, this is, this is kind of funny. And, and plus the clientele is amazing too. I have dealt with, you know, not, not a, it's a non-zero number of difficult people, but it's certainly not very many. This, this place, the, where I work has an amazing clientele. So all of those things in concert have made this an amazing experience. Okay. All right. So here's my next question. And this is, I, I, don't, I didn't ask you this ahead of time. So this will be um, an on the fly uh, or off the cuff answer, should I say, if you were to give a piece of advice right now to a doctor that is in the current situation of working full time, I mean, just go, 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 go four minute lunches every day, been doing it nonstop for many, many years, feeling the, I'm going to use the statement burnout, compassion, fatigue, the things that, that, that we see are, are very real in our lives today. What would you tell them to allow them? 
for them to feel empowered to come back with fully charged, you know, what would that, what would that advice look like right now? Here's what that advice would look like is if you are feeling that way. And and sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't recognize it, right? You're just short and snippy and, you know, you know, one of these, if you're feeling that way and you can recognize it, take a time out. It's okay. You can stop for a little bit, take a week, take two and take whatever you need to recharge that battery. The world will be here when you get back. Absolutely, it will. Other folks will handle it. Take the time, recharge your battery, and ask yourself, what do I like to do? What do I want to do? You know, take, if you like to travel, go travel. Take a staycation, right? Just, just exist. Don't do anything. But do whatever it takes to get away from it. Take time to sharpen the saw. One of my favorite quotes, Abraham Lincoln, if I had... Six hours to chop down a tree, I would spend four hours sharpening the axe. Guys, we cannot just saw, saw, saw all day long. We got to stop and sharpen the saw from time to time. So take that time. Okay, well, if I'm not working, I'm not making money. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. You can't afford not to. If you just keep doing it, you're going to get to the point where like this job sucks. I hate being a veterinarian. I'm out. And then where are you? So sure. Sharpen the saw guys. I, I love, love, love that advice because I couldn't agree with you more, right? Like the, the, the option is either get to the point where you can't even stand the thought of practicing medicine, which unfortunately is where we see some veterinarians headed where they're just looking to get out, get out, get out. Then they get out and it's a little too late to stabilize their mental health. And then they go through this. I believe at least they go through this process of truly missing this passion that they got into, which we talked about earlier, right? Like I think, Sometimes they rush towards this magical job of not practicing, but still using their DBM. Like this grass is going to be greener on the other side. And then they get to the other side and they stand there and look back over the fence and realize that they really did enjoy being over there, that they just weren't taking the time to refill their cup properly, you know? And so the practice, if they care for you, will understand the animals will be there needing to be seen after you've taken your break and taking care of yourself is the ultimate goal because you cannot love yourself properly and expect other people to love you properly if you are not paying attention to that. And that includes your staff, your family, all of those things. And so I'm, I'm grateful that that would be your advice. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. So, okay. So, during that conversation, you mentioned the clients and, and Chris, I, I feel like some of the things I've heard the most of post COVID are that the clients are more difficult. They don't understand. They're more short fused and that they're treating the staff just very poorly are you telling me that you haven't experienced that in the practice that you're in? Very, very little, very little. For the most part, the folks that are in that room, when I walk into that room, 
when I kind of do my best to communicate clearly, uh, it could be a health maintenance visit, it could be an urgent care, it could be whatever the situation is. If I communicate as, as clear as I can, here's the situation, here's what we need to do, here's how we need to proceed. Most folks are pretty grateful for that information. They may not do every single thing on my needs list. And if they don't, I tell them like, listen, here's everything I need. I understand there are some financial constraints. We're gonna do the best we can with what we can do. Try to make them feel as good about it as they can. Try to make them feel like, you know, that hey, you're not a bad pet owner if we have to go based on this information and we can't do the additional ultrasound or we can't do that. We'll do the very best we can. Just try to make them feel as good as we can about the situation and then follow up with them. Stay in touch with them. I find most people are pretty grateful. The folks that come in, you know, they woke up mad. That's not my fault. I didn't create that. They're just, that's just who they are. I don't take it personally. And, and our team's pretty good about not taking it personally. This is just who they are. We do the best we can. Let them decide, you know, what kind of data we're going to have from here out. Um, you can't control other people's reactions. And what you can control is how you're going to show up and the boundaries that you're going to set. And I, I truly believe when if, when people start looking at it like that, it's easier for them to have the thought of, oh, this is something they're struggling with. This isn't something that we caused. And I, and I, I think it is a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to how we're interacting with clients. I, uh, I hate that the majority of it comes down to finances, in my opinion, but I do love, because they're just so attached to their animals and I get it. Like I would venture to say the majority of the people that are staff inside of a veterinary hospital, if we didn't have that job, we probably couldn't afford a lot of the medical services that we want for our pets because we want the highest standard possible mm-hmm. because we know, you know, and so putting yourself in that person's shoes who doesn't know any of the medical lingo, they don't have the knowledge we have, what they know is their pet is sick and that it costs a lot of money and that they're having to choose between feeding their family and, and taking care of their animal that can bring on a lot of emotions. And so I really, I really love that you separate those two out. I'm curious. And I, and I know this is veering off a little bit, but do you feel like you've always had those good of boundaries when it comes to client interactions? Absolutely not. I mean, when I was a new, graduate, a young doctor, uh, boy, I took a lot of stuff personally. I took it, uh, you know, if they were having any, any difficulty, any, you know, negative feelings, I was like, well, maybe I caused that. It took a long time to, to have that awareness that I didn't create it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Of all of the people in this exam room, the only reaction I had is mine. That's it. So when you look in that mirror at some point and you go, you're the problem. This is a a, a hard truth, but it's a wonderful truth. You know why? Because when you look at it, you go, you're the problem. But that's good news because you're the only person you can change. You can't change anybody else. And so I went to a lot of CE on this very topic of how to separate those boundaries and how to let people 
let their problems be their problems. You don't have to accept their problems. Your job is to evaluate the pet, diagnose the problem, come up with a treatment plan. We go to school for a long time to know how to do that. There's time, money, blood, sweat, and tears invested in knowing how to come to the diagnosis, how to develop the treatment plan, and how to give a prognosis going forward. The only thing they have to do is come up with the money to pay for it. And if they can't, then we do the best we can. And, and what I find is I empathize like, yes, I acknowledge that's a lot of money. I, I get it. It is. I ask what I'm, what I'm saying we need to do is no small feat, but this is what we need to do. And when I do that with confidence, because I'm confident that this is the right thing to do with no apologies, but empathize. yes, I get it's a lot of money. I'm not saying I'm sorry it costs a lot of money. I'm just acknowledging it is a lot of money with empathy, with uh, authority. We generally get good outcomes with the with the resources that the folks have in front of us. And being apologetic or trying to save them money, I have screwed up more cases trying to save people money than I want to even talk about on this podcast. I just... I, it took a while to get there is the, is the short answer. Um, a couple things. One, you're right. Looking in the mirror is hard and recognizing that the work that needs to be done can, with our reaction sits on our shoulders. That's, that's hard because in those moments, we, it's easier for us to point fingers and place blame right? Like I wouldn't feel this way if, if Miss Smith didn't do this, I wouldn't do this. And ultimately that is our own responsibility, right? Like we have to learn how to deal with that. And another thing I'm going to comment on Chris, and I didn't know that we were going to get to this subject, but I'm grateful we did because you're right. When you speak with confidence and you do not apologize and you offer ways for everybody to feel comfortable with moving forward, whether that be this amazing gold star treatment or really knocking off like the beginning of the list to see if we can figure out what's going on with fluffy. Those, those options with confidence and no apology is massive, right? Like I I read a, and I'll have to, I'll post it maybe in the notes for this uh, podcast, but I was, I was reading this, article one time that talked about doctors and the way that people have trust with their own human doctors, right? That they, they could be the best, highest rated doctor, but if they're not confident, people don't trust them. But on the other hand, if they're confident, they could have the highest number of malpractice and people, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't resonate with them because they trust them because they seem confident, right? Like that there's so much to that. So I'm grateful that you pointed that out. Um, And ultimately, I do believe that that is a way to better handle some of our biggest issues. And, and I, and I love that we got onto that subject a little bit. And I dig that you are in a practice where you have that safety and you have your staff who also seem to feel comfortable having these conversations and feel comfortable letting that roll off their backs and feel comfortable knowing that's a a way that the client showing up has nothing to do with how they can show up. Or how they should be showing up. So that, that almost makes me want to do like a, a call out and a plea 
because I would love to have the practice owners of the, your current practice on an episode one day so we can talk about like the steps that they took to get to that place um, where they where they have that kind of clientele and that kind of staff for that matter. I think that would be a great conversation because I wasn't there in the when they were building this. I stepped in at the end result. And what I can tell you is the culture from the top down it's just incredibly supportive. Uh, it's it's very cohesive. It, it really feels like a team. Everybody's kind of helping each other out, pulling each other up. Uh, everything in there, it's it's a very well felt, very well oiled machine. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I hopefully they'll have this conversation. Feel free to like ask them to listen to this episode, and let and I'll just say this is my official plea. If y'all are interested or would even consider it. I would love to have y'all on. Um, so we can really talk about that. I'm all about, I did an interview with Dr. Earl last season, uh, because he is, he really runs his practice and holds his culture to a standard that I admire. And I really enjoyed that episode. So I think that uh, the same thing could happen here. So I will see what I can do. Mm, I love that. Well, Chris, I mean, I, I really have enjoyed this conversation. I would say that there's many different things I've taken from it. One, taking the break seemed to have really allowed you to have a space where you were really able to refill your cup and come back in with almost a new type of passion, right? Especially with the knowledge that you gained from every other journey you've been on in the last eight years. Um, I, I love that it gave you this, ability to have a deeper appreciation for one of the biggest things that is a struggle in general in life, which is the cost of goods and the cost of services. And it, that even relates back to your parasitologist line of work, because you do give a lot of speeches and it is important to um, connect with them on the issues that they struggle with. I, I love that you have some great advice for the fact that it does seem like practices are busier. And although you have a very unique practice, I think there's a lot that struggle with staffing and keeping people mm-hmm. and turnover. And, and because of that, they run on high octane at all times. And I believe your advice can really give them some direction on where to start to feel better about that, you know? And I love that there's CEs that you took about that because I, most of the time people want to go and learn the most about, you know, um, otitis and dermatology and, and heartworms and all of that stuff. And that's all great, but there's a lot to be learned for the emotional and, um, support side of things too. So, and then three, I love that we have to talk about the clients. I love that. That's kind of where we ended our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's, uh, on your CE point, I can't, encourage everyone enough to, you know, take those non-medical CEs about these topics, because if, if we are experiencing passion fatigue and we're wanting out of veterinary medicine, you can be very knowledgeable on how to treat otitis or how to treat heartworms. But if you're, you're not in the profession, you know, what's the point, right? So just take good care of yourself, please do that. And as far as, you know, staffing, I'm not, yeah, I, I totally get that staffing is uh, is a huge deal. Again, I'm incredibly fortunate that 
I'm an associate veterinarian in practice. I don't have to make the hiring and firing decisions. The practice manager who's amazing does that and puts amazing people in front of me to work with. I own my own practice for years. I get that. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore because that was uh, one of the things that kind of was like, okay, I think I've sucked all the joy out of being a veterinarian. I can, I'm going to go be a parasitologist. And part of it was, you know, the, the hiring and the firing, that the HR, the, uh, you know, drafting a, a agenda for our team meeting, all that. I get to go see patients and go home now. And if I have an idea, I just kind of feed it to the management and say, here's the thing, it might help. And then that's it. And so uh, for me, this is my, if, at this point in my career, this is really my sweet spot. I get to be a parasitologist full time and I get to be a practicing veterinarian sometimes. Mm, I love that. Mm, okay. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening today. This definitely will not be the last time that we have Dr. Adolph on this podcast. I'm super grateful for all of you who have been listening in. Um, if you get the opportunity to share an episode, like and follow the Veterinary Optimist on any of our major platforms, uh, all of that really matters. And I look forward to having you back with us next week. I can't bye. wait. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's exciting. So bye, everybody. <laughs>